Welcome back to a festive edition of Behind the Yellow Line. This is episode number 36 with Jeremy Spector and Randall J. Sanders. Ronan O'Shea with you here. We are recording this on Friday, September 17th. The Cubs and the Brewers right now battling up at AmFam Park. Uh, but we've got a lot of Cubs baseball to talk about. Chris Bryant returned to Wrigley Field, an emotional weekend on the north side and a weekend that didn't go well for the Cubs in terms of wins and losses Cubs also in the midst of a road trip right now that's been rough in Philadelphia. I'm um, hard to believe this. The final homestand of the year is on the horizon. The Cubs have the Twins coming in, the Cardinals coming in. We'll share some thoughts on that. And then we'll look around baseball a little bit as well. Brennan Davis promoted to Iowa. Big news for the Cubs. And he opens it up with a bang. Across Major League Baseball, Seattle gets the 2023 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. We'll have some thoughts on that. And we'll go back 20 years here to continue our ballad of the 2001 Chicago Cubs. And you know what? There's a whole lot of other stuff that we're going to talk about that's going to pop up in the moment, and we're looking forward to it. Uh, but it's good to see you guys tonight. I want to start off with this. How did the holiday week treat you all? Uh, uh, happy holiday to both of you. I don't know the appropriate thing I'm supposed to say there, but I'm wishing you guys the best, and I hope it was a good week. Well, you know, the, the typical greeting is you you wish somebody an easy fast, or you wish them hmm. a, a good yuntav, Ronan, which means... A yuntav. Good holiday. Uh, the week went uh, like it does every year. A, a lot of hunger and a lot of pain and discomfort. Uh, but that's what breaking the fast is for. Pain and discomfort there for Randall. Uh, yeah, you know, last week uh, I uh, I smoked myself some. Uh, actually, on Tuesday, I smoked myself some short ribs. It was pretty good. Um, so uh, that, that was pretty joyful for some holiday festivities. But uh, uh, and la- the week before, I smoked myself a brisket. That was also as go so you got those 10 days in there so you can do a lot of smoking i guess uh but you know i'm actually kind of dour i'm a little sad right now because the season's coming to an end and that's a little disappointing final homestand coming up on the season and uh you know in april and in, in march and february we had so much you know maybe we didn't have extreme expectations for this team but there's still joy in the new cubs season and now you're coming into it and it's winding down and it's like there's not gonna be baseball at least in chicago at least on the north side of chicago until uh, next year, next April. So that's a little disappointing. You know, as I say, at the end of every season, the only thing worse than having the Cubs to watch is not having the Cubs to watch. And it always comes about the same time every year. Well, it's coming quick here. And, um, I'm with you, Jeremy. I've got a little bit of anxiety, I think coming on like, Oh no, this is almost over. And other things to be excited about college football's rolling. The bears are, uh, doing their thing. At least it's sort of interesting to see what's going to happen here with Justin Fields and all. But um, it is sort of imminent here at the end of this season. And you as a season ticket holder, Jeremy, too, you got your last couple of trips down to the ballpark, you know, your last uh, uh, special dog there in the bleachers. You got to kind of enjoy these because it's getting away from us here pretty quickly now. Definitely. I got, you know, I got one coming up against the Cardinals, uh, the playoff bound as of now, St. Louis Cardinals. Hey, maybe you get to see John Lester there. Uh, so, uh, and then I got another one after that. So they'll be the final. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see Chris make his return. So that was disappointing, but you know, I th- got to really milk those final two games. Absolutely. And our podcast isn't going anywhere. We're going to keep this thing rolling all off season. Um, but with just a couple of weeks of the regular season to go here, we want to focus on this team and Randall, it was an emotional weekend at Wrigley field. Chris Bryant, a player who we love. Uh, did all the great accomplishments as a Chicago Cub, minor league player of the year, National League rookie of the year, National League MVP, World Series hero. He comes back as a San Francisco Giant. 
So on the field, ugly. The Cubs get swept by the Giants, a team that shocked everybody, one of the best teams in baseball. But let's talk about Chris Bryant here. What did it mean to you, Randall, to see him back here at the ballpark uh, wearing the wrong colors, the wrong uniform at well, Wrigley Field for the first you know, time? Um, the, the, the pain of the trade deadline has passed a little bit at this point. It, it's gone from just this, this empty chasm inside to kind of a dull ache. It, and it, it kind of feels like a, a distant memory having those guys in a Cubs uniform, even though it's only been six weeks. But, you know, Chris Bryant, he got to see his tribute video on the, the big screen on Friday. And, of course, he and Rizzo, they never got that last plate appearance at Wrigley. They were both held out of that last game before the trade deadline, which, you know, in the, in the most objective of senses, it makes sense. You don't want a guy to get injured right before he's probably going to get traded. Um but yeah, you know, the, the Wrigley fans never really got a chance to say goodbye to Rizzo or Bryant. So it's good that the schedule was such that Bryant can come back and he could get that ovation that he very richly deserved. So, you know, Chris, not a guy who shows a lot of emotion. He's generally pretty even keeled. Uh, and to see the camera on him on Friday as he watched his tribute video and to watch him pull down his glasses and wipe away a tear or two, that's, you know, Chris gave his heart and his soul to this team in this city. And for as much as people wanted to try and invent some kind of narrative where he was soft or didn't want to be here, you never once questioned what he gave to this city and to this team. And you could see that in his comments and in his reaction to watching his tribute video, you could see that when he came back last Friday. Um, so I'm, I'm glad the fans got to say goodbye to Chris in a way they didn't get to say goodbye to Rizzo in a way they didn't get to say goodbye to Baez. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it because I was out of town all last weekend, but I did actually today. I, I went on YouTube and I watched, uh, you know, just to see Chris coming back, see the reaction he got, see him. You know, I saw him wipe away the tear, as Randall mentioned, uh, watching the tribute video. And and it, it was sad. You know, it's it's unfortunate the way things ended. It's unfortunate that Chris Bryant will not be a Cub for life. He will not always have played for the Cubs. They will, will even if he ever comes back, there will always be other teams in there um with the san francisco giants now so you know that's unfortunate but you know i i think chris really does appreciate his time in chicago i think the fans obviously appreciate chris i mean all fans that are, are cubs fans should definitely appreciate chris there's no reason to not and you know hopefully in the future chris comes back i thought it was a little weird oh well jed was probably out because he had covid i was gonna say i thought it was a little weird that jed wasn't on the field with with them i, I was kind of hoping Theo would be there too but uh, you saw uh, Jason McLeod and Crane Kenny and Tom Ricketts all take a picture with him. And he got the nice 17 off the scoreboard. Yeah, Jed uh, still quarantining from his bout with COVID at the time. He Fortunately, he and Ross have come through perfectly okay. And I believe that I know Ross obviously is out of quarantine. I imagine yeah. is too. Um, and yeah, uh, and something uh, Bryant and his wife just did for the team employees as they contracted a local bakery and they gave out hundreds of individually wrapped Cubs cookies uh, to the stadium workers, to the, the clubhouse employees and the, the label on it, you know, it was, it, they had to give this to a lot of people. The label on it said, thanks for being part of our family for so many years. And that's quietly the kind of guy Chris Bryant is to, to come back and do something like that for the, the people behind the scenes who you and I will never see, never meet, never hear about to, to let them know that, they valued them in their time here. That's the kind of guy Chris is. That's cool to see. And it's nice to see the employees, the day-to-day -day people at the ballpark getting some props. Um, in a, uh, you know, Not just the people sort of at the top of the food chain with the high executive positions or the manager, things like that, 
but the people that are actually interacting with the fans day to day and having those conversations with the fans. So I thought that was nice. You know, the other thing about Bryant too, to his credit, all of his, of his accomplishments on the field, particularly the first three seasons, there was never any issues off the field. There were no problems. There were no even rumors of any issues off the field. If anything, some folks that maybe want like more personality out of their baseball players going, there's not a whole lot there. He's a family guy. He's got his wife. He's got their child. He seems very, very focused to his craft of being a baseball player, but there was never anything off the field that you ever have to worry about. Very much a class act. He said all the right things after leaving town. And I believe him. I don't think it was just lip service. I honestly think that when his playing career is done, we are going to see him at Rigby Field as a fan, enjoying the experience, taking in games. He's going to be a part of Cubs history forever. So sad to see him come back. Very happy, though, to see him on a playoff team. I mean, none of us expected this with San Francisco. They've emerged as the best team in the National League. They're battling down the Dodgers there in the division. And good for Chris Bryant. It's an awesome ballpark. It's a city with a ton of baseball history. They've got a great fan base there. I hope he can do well. It's great to see him, at least I think, in the playoffs here. And I hope he can get out and maybe have some big moments here in October with San Francisco. It's it's still a little surprising to see them even doing as well as they are. And I know that obviously mm-hmm. making a trade for Chris Bryan and, and some other players performing, but Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Crawford Longoria yeah. before he's like really got her all kind of like having, you know, coming back to like, just like a rejuvenation, like they found the fountain of youth. Um, So it's, it's not quite the same team, you know, you would expect when, when they started the season, but still, you know, after the Dodgers made the trade for Scherzer and Turner, you kind of had the expectation that the Dodgers would kind of come and and, you know, come from behind the Giants probably make the playoffs, but not, you know, uh, win the division, but uh, they took two out of three in some crazy games against the Dodgers uh, a week ago. And then they've still been winning and there's, they're up what now two, two and a half on the Dodgers. And it's looking more and more like they're going to be the team that wins the division, probably have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And the Dodgers are going to be stuck in a game and maybe they're going to play the Reds like today where they got shut down by Luis Castillo. Who knows? You know, one game playoff, anything is possible. So it, it's kind of crazy that that's the way this has all turned out. And and I don't think, and nobody would have expected that the, uh, the Giants were the team to beat the Dodgers. Everybody expected the Padres to be the team that was going to be competitive with the, Padres, or with the Dodgers. And the Padres have completely faltered and have been terrible. They have no pitching. Every trade A.J. Preller has made for the most part, except for uh, – uh, Joe Musgrove has been terrible. You <laughs> uh, Darvish is like a five ERA almost. Yeah. Uh, Blake Snell has been struggling. It, it's crazy what's happened to the, the Padres. They're only six games above 500 now. Yeah. And this is sure. a team that had, was rolling, absolutely yeah. rolling the first half of the year. They've had injuries. That's certainly impacted them. But Randall, I think the Darvish thing is so jarring. We've talked at length. It's been recorded. You can go back and hear us ranting about you Darvish going to the Padres. He doesn't look like the U Darvish that we saw last year, the National League Cy Young runner-up. And it's tough to see this. Like, we love you, Darvish. We want to see him do well, even if he's not in a Cubs uniform. He's not pitching like the ace that he was the last season and a half. No, and it's, it's unfortunate because we know Darvish has, has gone through some struggles mentally coming out of that 2017 World Series. It took him a while to get back to where he needed to be both physically and mentally. And you, you hate to see him struggle. Darvish, one of the great pitchers in the game, one of the great individuals in the game. I certainly don't enjoy seeing him struggle. And it's unfortunate. And as Jeremy said, it feels like just about every move that the Padres have made this year has uh, not turned out the way 
that they were hoping. And one of the one of those deals that caught my eye the other night, of course, they traded for Adam Frazier from the Pirates. And, you know, anybody could have told you that Adam Frazier is not the hitter for whom they traded. He is not a guy who hit 324 before being traded, OPS 836. But his numbers with San Diego, my goodness, he's OPSing 634, an OPS plus of 80. He's been 20% worse than a league average hitter with the Padres this year. And it's another move that didn't quite work out for the Padres. And it feels like it's gone that way for them more often than not. Uh, they brought in Jake Arietta because their rotation was so depleted and that has predictably not worked out for them. And yeah, as, as Jeremy said, they've made a lot of moves and those moves have not entirely worked out. And I think I've said this previously. My hope is that the rest of the league's front offices does not look at the Padres and they don't use the Padres as an excuse to not go for it. I'm hoping that the Cubs, among other teams, don't look at the Padres making these big trades, bringing in these, these free agents saying, see, this is why you can't do it because it never works out. So the, the Padres are an interesting case. With Adam Frazier, I remember uh, at the deadline, I was talking to some White Sox fans and other people. I remember White Sox being like, we should trade for Adam Frazier. And I, I was kind of down on that. And I was like, Frazier's not that guy. Like, uh, you look at you look at like on his even like on his baseball savant page, like his exit velocities are so low and he he's not really that guy. Yeah. So it doesn't I mean, probably not you to be a little surprising to me that bad, but it doesn't surprise me that he's been pretty bad, especially in the park like Petco. But with Darvish. Uh, I, I think I even remember mentioning this as well um, when the trade was made, like there was that possibility that maybe, you know, maybe you Darvish is going to stink. Maybe you Darvish is not going to be the guy that the, the Padres are trading for. I mean, he's 34 years old. He's getting up there in age. He's, he had some injury issues. Even when he first came to the, uh, excuse me, even in 2019, when he was healthy, that first half, he was not that great. Um, so it, it's not like there was that big of a track record over the past past three seasons or so that suggested that he was a great uh, a starter. He's had the Tommy John um, in, the, in the, a few years ago in Texas. And so who knows, like, uh, and the Cubs, the guys, the Cubs got, I mean, Casey's up already up to, to uh, low a with Myrtle beach. He's struggling a little bit, but he's hitting the ball hard there. Preciado has been hitting the ball hard in the complex. Uh, 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 Mena and Santana are both down there in complex baseball as well, per- performing decently. So like, who knows how this trade's going to look in two, three years from now. You know, if you go back to our episodes and our discussions right around the time of the Darvish trade, as I pull up the numbers, so our devote fan, our devoted fans can go back and give a listen to that. And you know what? Uh, that trade predated behind the yellow line. Yes, there is a there is a podcast as recorded that I probably still even have on my computer that was never uploaded. Right. So um, so we could play. We could right. push that out if we, we want. could Special push that edition. out. If we were recording behind the L line around the time of that trade, which was right before New Year's, you can hear us. You would be able to hear us saying, you know, we did record. I I, like I said, we have that podcast. Right. So if we do push that out, you can listen to us saying, you know, it's a bitter trade to swallow because of the age of the prospects they got back. But you could make the case. You could have made the case that the Cubs sold him at the peak of his value and got back a good return for him. And I think in hindsight, if the Cubs had gotten back prospects that were in double A, triple A, a lot closer to the majors, we would be looking upon that trade a lot more favorably right now. And again, the sticking point at the time was that the Cubs got back a bunch of teenagers and also Zach Davies, who pitches like a teenager sometimes. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's interesting to see how 
the the young players that the Cubs have gotten have started to develop in the minors. And it's unfortunate to see that Darvish has struggled this year with a team that had very high aspirations to start the season. Well, Randall, you know, you got me thinking a little bit here with the Padres struggling. My question would be, who's the front runner for National League MVP? It had been Fernando Tatis Jr., like convincingly gets a little bit murkier as the Padres fall out of it. I think he's probably still the front runner, but Jeremy, what, what else comes to mind here? Are you on the Bryce I, Harper camp? Yeah. Or where are you at? I mean, I might be a little biased here because I am a big Bryce Harper fan, although I like Tatis yeah. as well. I, I think Bryce Harper's the guy ahead right now. I think he's the front runner. I know the Phillies aren't in the, in the playoff position either, but Tatis has been hurt. He's been injured. He's missed a lot of time. Harper's just been kind of consistent every single day mashing the baseball uh it's gonna be interesting i mean you know it's gonna be interesting to see how this mvp race shapes up especially if neither of them make the playoffs yeah um because who knows i mean i thought you're gonna ask who do you think the front runner is right now making that second wild card spot that could be the cardinals like and they came out of nowhere and i know that doesn't make randall happy doesn't make me happy but their cardinals came out of nowhere and I, goldschmidt's kind of had a monster second half arenado's performing okay um, but it's surprising. So, but I, I think it's Harper. Like Harper is the guy I, I see. He's, he's like the only guy with like a 300, 400, 500 pretty much in the NL, um, that's been playing every single day. Uh, and it'll be nice to see him get two MVPs. I think Randall, a couple other names, Max Muncie, Freddie Freeman. What, who's the front runner in your mind? Or is I, Tatis I think to, I think to the extent that we want to look at somebody other than Tatis, it's probably Harper for me as well. Uh, he's been playing out of his mind the last month or so. Uh, I think it might depend a lot for MVP on kind of what the Padres do. I think if the Padres are able to pull out that playoff spot, or they're in a position to do so because, of course, voting is complete by the end of the regular season. I think if the Padres are able to pull it out and Tatis is still healthy and productive, they'll prob- the voters will probably weight him over Harper playing well on a, a middling Phillies team, and they are a middling team. So uh, Tatis is probably still holding a, a slim edge for me, but to the extent that we want to name names other than Tatis, I think Harper is probably your 1A. I think Harper's the one. I think Tatis is the one. I think Har- most people probably have Harper on top right now. Well, Vegas has Tatis on top. That's, yes, that's different, you know, that's not true. necessarily people who vote on it. Um, Harper right now second. Just looking at some of the numbers here, are a couple other names in the mix. Max Muncie, as you get further down, then Freddie Freeman, Nick Castellanos. Don't think we're going to see that, though. I think it's going to either be Tatis or Harper. I mean, we just saw Harper against the Cubs. He, he was a monster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the Phillies – uh, you know, anything can happen. You get these short playoff series, you get in there a couple of home runs and all of a sudden you're in the NLCS and then you get hot there and it's, it's get very real at that point once you get the pennant. So um, it'll be fun to see all of this play out. Um, speaking of the Phillies, good transition there, Jeremy Cubs in Philadelphia for three. It started off great. A six, three victory earlier in the week and the highlight in that game, Patrick wisdom, he ties Chris Bryant for the Cubs rookie home run record jeremy you and i were at wrigley field when chris bryant set that mark a couple of years back patrick wisdom in far fewer at bats catching up with big kb here in 2021 who would have seen that coming it's insane it's absolutely insane uh <laughs> like uh, you know who had the record before chris bryant billy williams so yeah these are two great players too i mean hopefully chris bryant can finish off as a whole hall of famer but a hall of famer and billy williams maybe a hall of famer and chris bryant patrick wisdom probably not going down that path but he's going to be the guy with two weeks left here probably hitting another homer 
at least one to be the guy who's the rookie record holder. And that's just insane. It's kind of crazy to think that Patrick wisdom, I mean, he's older. He, he he's obviously not coming like up a young and like Chris Bryant, and Billy Williams were, but it's crazy to think that that's going to be the guy who's the Cubs rookie record Homer uh, leader. I mean him uh, and you see Frank Schwindel as well. Also yeah. like putting up these huge numbers in small samples. So it, it's crazy how they've been able to do that. Frank the Tank hit number 14 tonight. The Cubs and the Brewers battling. I see the bullpen is wavering here. Milwaukee's tied it up as we record this right now. Uh, but Jared, uh, Randall, rather, you give Frank the Tank another month, month and a half, maybe he's up there vying with Patrick for the Cubs rookie home run record. You know, Frank Schwindel, you know, I'm not, I'm don't, I don't want to count on Frank Schwindel in 2022. If, if the NL gets the DH, and you feel like you can keep him around as a, a great right-handed DH, part-time first baseman. I, I'm weary about keeping a sole first baseman on your bench because I feel like you need a guy who can play at least two or three positions if he's going to take up a whole bench spot. But for as long as he keeps hitting, it creeps into the back of your mind. Is this guy legit? Can he be at least a productive major league hitter over the course of a full season? And Schwindel simply has not stopped hitting. Um, so it, it makes next year's roster construction a little more interesting. Uh, Alfonso Rivas has proven himself uh, to be potentially a capable major league hitter, and he's a guy who can play both corner outfield spots and first base, and he's got an approach that will play at the major league level. He's great at waiting out uh, at bats. He's great at making contact. The Cubs had a lot of success with Tommy Listella providing that similar offensive skill set off the bench for some of those best Cubs teams we've seen in our lifetime. So, you know, it's starting to creep into the back of my mind. What if the Cubs do go into 2022 with a platoon of Schwindel and Rivas at first base? And I personally hope they don't do that because I think that's putting your eggs in some very unproven baskets. But if they do that and they then go on to spend on starting pitching and shortstop, you might be able to live with that. So for as long as Schwindel keeps hitting, he makes the 2022 discussion that much more interesting. And I know how that sounds, handing the keys to first base to a, a rookie in his late 20s like that. But if he keeps hitting, the sample size is getting larger and larger, and it's getting more and more difficult to ignore. Frank Schwindel is uh, one home run away from uh, tying Anthony Rizzo in a Cubs uniform for homers by a first baseman in the 2021 Chicago Cubs. So, and it's pretty crazy because Frank Schwindel's played in 50 less games than Anthony Rizzo has. So that's kind of insane. And, and like I said, I, I, I might've mentioned this last week, but Frank Schwindel's played in a total of 51 games this year uh, with Oakland and with the Cubs. He has 14 homers. He has like a 173 OPS plus. He's got uh, over a thousand OPS, 51 games. Last year's season was 60, 60 games. Last year, Frank Schwindel would be in every NL MVP conversation. He'd be done with the season pretty much. This would be his season line. That just shows how insane last year was, in my opinion, how ridiculous of a season it was. But, uh, you know, Frank Schwindel, I'm, as I've said all along, I'm here for Frank Schwindel. Uh, I love seeing him. And he's, a, he's an interesting guy because yeah. he doesn't walk. He doesn't strike out. He just hits the baseball. And he's hitting hard. it with authority. He's hitting it hard. And it's just kind of crazy. He's hitting everything. Now, it, I mean, at some point, you probably have to walk a little bit. You can't just rely on always swinging because pitchers will start making pitches. We've seen that profile with some other guys like, you know, Albert Almora or Starlin Castro, where they, you know, they start chasing and getting out on pitchers pitches. But um, 
it's just an insane guy to see that much power from a guy like that. It's also fun to see the fan bases that he's building up. It's like with every time the Cubs are on the road and he hits it out, there's this huge section of fans that are cheering for him. Um, it was also good to see big crowds at Wrigley over the weekend when the Giants were in there. Just nice to see Wrigley kind of full again, at least the seats that you see on television. Um, but we're having a lot of fun watching Frank the Tank. I got, I got to turn the dial, though, here, and let's get dour for a minute. I'm worried. I'm very, very worried. Last two games in Philly, the Cubs lose 6-5 to five after a late rally on Wednesday. And then yesterday, big lead early, Cubs lose 17-8. to eight, And I think it's time that we got to start asking the question here, what's going on with Kyle Hendricks? Since the All-Star break, multiple starts here. Listen to the earned runs Kyle Hendricks is giving up in some of these games. This is all from the All-Star break. July 26, five earned runs. August 12th, nine earned runs. August 23rd, four earned runs in seven innings. That's okay, but that's not a Kyle Hendricks start. August 29th, eight earned runs in four and two-thirds innings. Here in September, six earned runs on September 4th. And then the other day here, three and two-thirds innings, seven earned runs. This isn't the Kyle Hendricks we're used to. I know this has been a difficult season for the Cubs, but I think you got to start to ask the question here, Who's Kyle Hendricks? What's going on here? Because this is bad news for next year if this is Kyle Hendricks. I, I 100% agree. Uh, and let's not forget, Kyle had a very slow start to the season as well. In April, mm-hmm. he had that game on Sunday night against Atlanta. He got lit up. He had some other struggles. Then he kind of settled down in, in May, June, when the Cubs were really playing good baseball in May and June. He was pretty. He was pitching pretty well, and he had that streak where he, uh, you know, pretty much had a, like a win streak up in, into July almost, or, or pretty much. And then, and then it's all kind of gone to hell, gone to hell, and, and partially it's kind of gone to hell right around the trade deadline. So there's a part where I guess you could argue that maybe Kyle's just not feeling it anymore. He's not. I mean, I hope this is not true, but yeah. you know, once the Cubs kind of stunk, it's been kind of you know he hasn't really gone out there and competed as hard as he possibly could. But the thing about it is that he he's not, first of all, he was never a high strikeout pitcher, but he's not striking out batters at the rate he was striking them out throughout his career, and he's walking more guys. So if he's not striking out uh, guys, he's like a below-average strikeout pitcher now. He was always a great uh, at control. He was not walking guys, but now he's pretty much kind of average in that. And so if those, if he's not, if he's not getting, being great on control and getting those strikeouts, he doesn't throw very hard. I mean, he's throwing 86, 87, lower than when he used to be able to pump 88, 89. He's getting killed. And and it seemed to me like he wasn't really throwing his breaking balls as much. And that was the one thing that kind of kind of put him back on track, I felt like, over the last couple of years was he developed a really good curveball. And he'd been throwing that pretty well. Even though he'd been losing some velocity, he kind of developed this curveball that kind of you know kept it going. And I feel like he's kind of gone away from his curveball a little bit. And it's just been a struggle and it's unfortunate. And they were talking on the pregame broadcast today about whether or not you sit Kyle Hendricks for the final two weeks, you just shut him down because he's clearly not into it. And, and uh, Sutcliffe said he talked to Kyle and said, Kyle would, you know, he, he's a competitor. He's not going to want to sit down. And, and JD said, it's, it's up to him. Like if you think if he, it's up to him, like if he wants to shut it down, he should shut it down. Otherwise go pitch. But it's kind of crazy to have that conversation. I feel like. Yeah, Kyle Kyle Hendricks' margin for error is a lot lower for a guy who uh, depends entirely on command. He's not going to blow anybody away. Uh, and, you know, when it goes, it goes through. We saw this a little bit in 2017 where he was giving up the home run at alarming rate. The To whatever extent his velocity can be down, it was. He was sitting in the, the mid-80s 
um, as opposed to the, the high ADC throws when he's on. What I will say is, Jeremy, you pointed out that a lot of this started right around the deadline. And you could make the case that without superior defense behind him, that's going to fail him a little bit. Um, but you're right. It is it is right to be concerned. But I'll say this. We know Kyle Hendricks is one of the smartest players on the team. We know he's the most willing to look at his tape and figure out how best to fix it. Um, so I would have to see like another half season of this to really be worried because if there's one pitcher on the staff, I trust to diagnose his issues and then fix them. It's probably Kyle Hendricks. So, you know, just as we're saying, it, it's kind of a shame that certain players are wasting their breakouts in a lost season. If Hendricks is going to have a half season, this rough, it might as well be in a season where the team's not doing anything. Let him get right in the off season. Let him look at his tape, let him work in the pitch lab and hopefully he can solve whatever the issue is next spring and be back at it uh, next season. The, the one thing I want to say though is I don't really want to go into next year with Kyle Hendricks as the number one on this on this staff. I didn't want to do that this year. Um, so hopefully the Cubs go out there and realize that they need to put Hendricks kind of in the lower spot, and hopefully they can are able to acquire somebody that could be a top of the rotation starter. Well, they've got Kyle under contract for a couple more years now, twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. So he's not going anywhere. Like I don't think he's going to be gone this off season. No. He's going to be back. Um, the market for him this winter will be rough too, given the year that he's coming off of, but I'm with you, Jeremy. I don't want him number one in the rotation. If he slated in at two or three, and then maybe he has a bounce back season next year, you get that extra pickup, but certainly starting pitching is something that the Cubs have to address and they've got the capital to address it. There's plenty of money. There is good starting pitching available and it's not just free agency. You can acquire guys via trade. You can get guys that are a year, even two years out from free agency if you envision them being somebody that you can invest in and extend. So there are options for the Cubs. It's just sad because Kyle Hendricks has been so rock solid. I mean, even 2017, you remember he had some injuries. He wasn't quite his typical self that year. He comes back. This is a guy who's normally good for about four war. Year in and year out, he's going to give you that type of a performance. It's jarring to see him out there giving up. It's not just like, oh, he's going seven innings and giving up four runs every game. He's given up eight, nine earned runs in three innings. It's been ugly. And um, you don't want to see it because he's another guy, too, that never a problem off the field. Everybody raves about him. Everybody loves him. He's a Cubs World Series hero, too. It's just tough to see him struggling this much on the mound. Yeah, he Here, was let a... me ask you this, oh, too. Go. I like making excuses for people that I like. I'm constantly making excuses for Randall all over the place. I'm protecting Randall. Is there anything to the fact that the Cubs have had kind of a revolving door behind the plate this year? Remember Wilson was out for a couple of weeks after the all-star break. You've got Robinson Chirinos catching games. Can we point to that at all as maybe having an impact on Kyle Hendricks or am I just trying I to mean, be generous? I, I, I'd have to look at the, who he was throwing to over that time period. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but obviously you know, Austin Romine, PJ Higgins, uh, all the guys that they had going through there. I, I, there's a name I'm blanking on. That I Taylor, Taylor Gushu. Uh, oh, Taylor Gushu, but also uh, Ronan's <laughs> guy, uh, uh, Tony Walters, uh, was there at yeah. the start of the year. Um, so, you know, maybe Kyle just didn't like Tony Walters uh, after 2018 being on the team. So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, maybe there's something there. I, I'm not exactly sure who he was throwing to throughout the whole season, I, you know, to look it up, but uh obviously not ha not having a, a catcher uh you know a, a standard catcher would probably hurt a little bit i mean greg maddox always wanted to have like eddie perez behind the plate or whatever so he always wanted the same guy so 
personal catcher, you Darvish had Victor Caratini. So there's probably something to it. Just something I've been thinking about, you know, when you see someone with the track record that Kyle has, and you look at how dysfunctional this season has been, the fact that there's been a revolving door, not just behind the plate, but across the infield too. guys that were starting the games in the middle infield back in April and May and June are not on the team anymore. You've got different guys all over the place. And this is a team that unfortunately hasn't really been competitive since the end of June. And that's when things were going so well and then went very, very badly, long extended losing trees streaks and things that maybe are getting to him. So Kyle Hendricks, it's a guy that we're going to be talking about this off season. We're hoping that this season is an aberration. You know, you can't be perfect forever, but very troubling to see such a strong, consistent performer looking, you know, like a minor leaguer in a lot of these games and just really getting shelled and hit hard. And uh, we don't like to see that. And the other thing I, I just want to mention, just, just from what we saw uh, in Philadelphia is the Cubs just putting up an, and even today, honestly, Cubs putting up, you know, a big spot, uh, seven, nothing. It's like the third time this year, we've seen the Cubs put up a huge spot going up and then just getting blown out. The bullpen just blowing it today. They're up what four, nothing, five, nothing. I think four, nothing. And that, and they, once again, uh, once again, blew uh, a big lead. So, uh, I mean, I, as big a lead as they had, like, uh, when Arietta blew it, but they, they've blown another lead in Milwaukee. So it's just kind of frustrating to watch that when you see the, I mean, you're like, so, you're like, Oh, the Cubs can hit. They're putting up some runs. They're like this, this team, Frank Schwindel, Alfonso Rivas, whoever's out there, they're putting up some runs and then the pitching comes out there and they're just giving it up. And you're like, well, what's going on here? Uh, and to see Kyle do it is very disappointing and concerning and disconcerting. Jeremy, you are of course correct. Uh, yesterday was the third time this season. The Cubs have blown at least a six, nothing lead. They did it June 30th in Milwaukee, losing 15 to seven after leading seven, nothing August 27th at the White Sox, losing 17 to 13 after leading six to nothing. And of course, last night they led seven to nothing and they lost uh, 17 to eight. And this stat comes from Megan Montemoro, the Cubs beat writer for the Tribune. She also has the stat that in those three games after the Cubs had built at least a six, nothing lead, they were subsequently outscored a combined 47 to eight which is just insane. It's not historic company in which you want to be. You don't want that stat to be about your team. No, Good stuff bad. there, Randall. Appreciate you looking that up. As brutal as it is, as tough as it is, going back to your point earlier, Jeremy, we're very close to this going away. And as hard as it is to pick up a box score every day and see, you know, Jesus Christ, 17 to eight, like what the hell happened here in the ball game? I'll take that over weeks and weeks and weeks of no box scores of no players that we can be looking at of no surprise moments where Patrick wisdom hits a bomb out to left field. The cold winter is coming and it's coming fast. So as difficult as these losses are, I'm still going to embrace them because it's better than nothing. Not hundred percent on board with that. Well, we've got a lot more to talk about here on the show. We want to talk about Brennan Davis, his promotion to Iowa. That's big news for the Cubs, a guy that we expect to be on multiple good Cubs teams moving forward Major League Baseball All-Star Game moving to Seattle. We want to talk about the 2001 Chicago Cubs, but the Cubs are in Milwaukee for three. They come home for two against Minnesota. Randall, I'm told you've got the weather for us, right? Dome Stadium this weekend, but you got the weather for us. Absolutely. As always, we are fortunate to have the weather provided to us by Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather. Find him on Twitter at Alexander Hall and find his account on Twitter at Cubs Weather, just as you can find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. 
So Alexander provides us the weather as he so often does. He's providing it in a little different format now as Alexander is working on expanding his forecasting ability into other ventures. And we wish him all the best with that. We will share those with you as he gets those up and running. But with tonight's game, a lost cause and pretty much out of the way, Alexander tells us that Saturday will be dazzling, cool and fall-esque. Um, sandwiched between warmer nights tonight, Friday, and a warmer day on Sunday. Uh, but tomorrow, Saturday, you can expect the roof to be open at game time, which is a 6.15 p.m. start. And unfortunately, that's a Fox game. I thought we were done with national games. We, we shouldn't have to put up with this Cubs team in national games. Come on. But with a 6.15 start Saturday night, you can expect temperatures in the upper 60s, uh, winds will be out to right at about five miles per hour. Humidity will be, and I quote, amazing. It sounds like if you are going to trek up there to the airplane hangar and land your small craft uh, in the parking lot, as you do with an airplane hangar, Saturday is the night to do it. For the Sunday game, which is a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start, temperatures will be in the upper 80s. It'll be slightly more humid on Sunday than it was than it will be Saturday night. Uh, but expect the roof open as well. Wind will be in from center field five to 15 miles per hour. So the Cubs are off Monday. They come home again and they play the Twins Tuesday and Wednesday. For Tuesday, you can expect temperatures in the mid-60s. Alexander describes these as the first truly crispy fall games at Wrigley, a front expected to move through the Great Lakes on Tuesday. And as of right now, it's expected to pass just before game time on Tuesday. But there's some uncertainty as to the timing of that given the long range. Wednesday will be dry and more reminiscent of early October. And these are my two favorite words for going to a baseball game, hoodies recommended. So for the Tuesday night game and the Wednesday night game, both of which are 6.40 p.m. starts, Tuesday temperatures in the mid-60s with a chance of a shower, the wind in from left field at 10, to, at 10 miles per hour. Wednesday night temperatures in the low 60s at game time, wind in from right field at five miles per hour. The humidity on Tuesday night will be slowly declining, drying out. And the humidity on Wednesday night will be, and I quote again, dazzling. So it sounds like if you are going to try and get to a game during these this last homestand at Wrigley, either night game against the Twins is a good decision. So again, follow Alexander on Twitter at Alexander Hall. Follow the account that he and two other individuals, Colin and Andrew, run Cubs Weather at Cubs Weather for all of your forecasting needs as they pertain to our favorite baseball team and the stadiums in which they play. All right, good stuff, Randall. And I'm excited to hear this news about Alexander when it's appropriate to share it. So very, very good stuff there. Um, you know, I'll say this too about Miller Park. Randall, I don't know that you agree with me. Nice place to see a ball game. I think they've got a nice ballpark for their city. For their city. It's no Wrigley. It doesn't need to be. I think they've got a nice thing going on there in Milwaukee. And um, boy, their fans have had so much to celebrate. They win an NBA title. Their football yeah. team maybe has some issues, but they got a team that's going to be very, very competitive here in the playoffs. So lots of partying there in the Sud City up in Milwaukee. You know, I'll, I'll be diplomatic here. Maybe it's just because I've never seen a win at Miller AmFam Ballpark mm. Place. I, I believe I'm over forever there, Ronan. I know you and I were at a game there in 2004 where Ben Sheets did what 2004 Ben Sheets did and kept the Cubs completely from threatening. Between that, between just about every game since, uh, it feels like the Cubs always find a way to lose in some spectacular fashion up at Miller Park when I'm in attendance. So, you know, it's at some point you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. And uh, I'm not eager to return there anytime soon. 
Well, Randall. Jeremy, or oh. I'm sorry, Randall, that came in 2004. I believe it was July 5th. It was July 5th, 2004. The Cubs lost that game one to nothing. The lone run in that game. You remember? You know, it, it's right, it's right it's at the back to, of my head. It's going to right at the back of my head. It's, it's going to hurt there. when you tell me. Craig Council's solo home run. That's it. Bottom of the first. That's it. All zeros the rest of the way. Randall, that was also the first time my parents got to experience high school Randall at a ball game. You were loud. You were chirping. You were pissed off that Craig Council hit that home run and the Cubs lost one to zero. Absolutely. He was a weasel back then and he's a weasel now. <laughs> well, hey, while we're talking about that, I can't think of a better thing to ask. Although, Jeremy, you had something. I got a perfect transition here, but what do you got? I just had a question. I just because uh, Marquis put up that. Uh, poll question about your favorite place to watch the Cubs in the road NL Central ballpark. And I was going to ask if that is the only road NL Central ballpark that Randall has seen the Cubs. Uh, that is correct. I have not been to Cincinnati. I have not been to Pittsburgh and I have not been to St. Louis. And so Miller Park is the only NL Central ballpark in which I have seen the Cubs. You are correct. Well, let me answer that question. I will say, and I have seen the Cubs play in every National League Central Park. So I've gotten to all the ballparks there. My favorite is St. Louis. And the reason for it, because I love the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. I'm not saying that St. Louis has the best ballpark in the National League Central. That's clearly Pittsburgh. It's not even close. It's a wonderful experience. It's a laid-back experience to go and watch the Cubs in Pittsburgh. But I love the rivalry. I love the animated fans. It's fun going on the road to a rival and seeing your team do special things. So St. Louis is my number one. Milwaukee Cubs has become a wonderful rivalry. It's, I love going up to Milwaukee. If I lived in Chicago, you could put me down at least one game a year. Every single year, without question, I'm going up to Milwaukee. When I've lived in Chicago, that's been the case. At least one game a year. Many times, two or even three games, depending on how competitive the Cubs are. But number one has to be Cubs-Cardinals. That's old school. That's where it's at. You know, no disrespect to the Reds, but our rivalry with St. Louis is different. And to me, that's number one. Again, Number one ballpark, Pittsburgh. Number one place to see a Cubs game. It's got to be St. Louis. Well, for me, I, I and the only time I've ever seen the Cubs in St. Louis, I saw them with you. And uh, uh, Wellington Castillo hit a monster home run. The Cubs ended up Beef. winning that 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 ball game. Hector uh, Rondon got his first major league save in that, that game. That is correct. And I have also seen the Cubs in each one of those ballparks, every single one of those ballparks. And you agree with Sutcliffe. He, he wanted it for the rivalry. I'm going to agree with J.D., and you already mentioned it. I just think Pittsburgh is such a cool ballpark. I love being there. So I, w- I would pick the best place to watch the Cubs play uh, in the NL Central is the outside of Wrigley is Pittsburgh. Yeah, good stuff there. I think that's fair. Um, we got to get you on the road, Randall. We got to get you. Who wouldn't want to be with Randall J. Sanders the first time he walked into Bush Stadium? I wouldn't want to be with me the first time I walked into Bush Stadium. Go to the ballpark village. Maybe Randall can ride the 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 mechanical the bull. bull. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. I'm just the I'm just imagining bull. I'm just imagining myself walking in and not knowing what to flip the bird first. Like I'm going double barreled at everything, <laughs> and just just turning around. You and you and you well, and you two. There's double birds on the bat, so that's what it is. So yeah, I'll fit, I'll fit right in. Cubs are coming home after this trip to Milwaukee. Randall uh, always scary going up to AmFam, especially when the Brewers are good and they've got a very competitive team right now. Cubs come home. I want to focus more on the first hand of that homestand. We're going to do another show before the Cardinals come in and we kind of get to say our goodbyes to Wrigley here. Randall, you're pointing at me. You're waving at me. What do you got? You got something that's urgent. I feel like you were going to ask me something uh, on the tail end of that last segment, probably about a Brewer 
Ronan, probably about a brewer who decided he yeah, was on his Yeah, see what happens out. when Jeremy throws me off oh, my oh, oh, I completely oh. forget about what I was going to say. I thought he was going to ask you about the mechanical bull. At least. Well, <laughs> oh, there, there's bull involved, Jeremy. There's bull involved. All right, Randall, it's been a difficult two weeks for you. I've been uh, thinking about you. I've been very, very concerned about your well-being. Last week, we find out, or maybe it's two weeks ago. It's kind of a blur. Yadier Molina. He's hanging it up, but he's got one more year. So he gets the victory lap. We're going to see him in the year of Randall J. Sanders, 2022. Yadier Molina getting his goodbye all across baseball. Heartbreaking news here in the last couple of days, Randall. Maybe your favorite baseball player of all time, not named Yadier Molina. Milwaukee Brewers great Ryan Braun formally announces his retirement. Randall, my heart breaks for you. How are you handling this horrible, horrible news? Uh, celebrating celebrating i hope the door does hit him on the way out what a loathsome individual gets he gets popped for peds and he has the gall to try and pin that on the the shipping worker trying to do his job and trying to slander that individual with a lot worse accusations than breaking the chain of custody I, I, you know i've hated a lot of baseball players in my time there was a point at which i might have said no 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 hate is such a strong word i strongly dislike no i hated Ryan Braun. And the fact that he was at his peak when the Cubs were at their ebb, uh, you know, made a lot of made a lot of things go south real quickly. I, I don't miss him. I won't miss him. And if I'm if I get one thing out of this, it's that he didn't really get any kind of goodbye tour. You know, he he didn't play this year. He didn't announce his retirement till mid-September. I'm sure he was sitting at home eating frogs occasionally or whatever Ryan Braun does in his free time, checking <laughs> people's fridges for his urine. Um, and wow. I'm sure he was hoping, I'm sure he was hoping some team, maybe the Brewers would call him because they needed a bat off the bench. And I'm glad that didn't happen. I'm glad he has to do his retirement announcement from his living room or whatever, whatever cave, whatever hole in the ground he lives in. Um, so I won't miss hole. him. Big hole in the ground. Yeah. So I won't miss him. I loathe him. I despise him. And I'm glad he didn't get what Molina wants, which is this year long retirement tour where he goes from ballpark to ballpark and gets platitudes from each team. So I won't miss him. I don't like him. I dislike him a lot. If you want somebody to say, well, I disliked him, but I really respected his talent. You can go listen to somebody else. I got nothing for you. Do let the door hit you on the way out, Ryan. Oh my God, Randall! What if the Cubs? What if the Cubs were in a playoff hunt right now, and they were like, "We need a outfield bat. We need a guy to come in and just hit but the ball." Braun Ryan Braun's out sitting out there. We got to bring him in. He's got to wear the blue pinstripes, play every day in Wrigley. How would you have felt? I, I don't think I see. I don't think there's a scenario in which that would have happened. He's not an outfield bat anymore. The Brewers played him chiefly in the infield in his his final season or two. He's, he's not really of use to a, a major league ball club anymore. There were plenty of teams this season who were probably desperate for somebody who could come off the bench and be a competent offensive player, especially this season where teams were still missing swaths of players for fairly extended periods as COVID outbreaks moved through one clubhouse after another. And the fact that Ryan Braun still sat there in his mud pit, uh, occasionally leering at passersby who would then run in fear. I think the fact that he was sitting at home and was not brought in even on a minor league contract to see if he could provide value to a team. I think that says a great deal. So well, again, we Braun can, didn't want to go anywhere. Well, yeah, that's good. Cause I don't want him to go anywhere either. So but we maybe could, it was like, 
Chicago would have been a good spot for me because it's only you know, an hour south of Milwaukee. You, you, Jim Edmonds you know, did that thing. I, I have to thing. believe. I have to believe that Dennis Rodman. I have to believe that Ryan Braun, having spent his entire career just doing unspeakable things to the Cubs, I have to think he probably wouldn't have signed here, even if every possible star aligned. And that's fine. If that's just about the only respect he'll get from me is uh, is that he is a brewer through and through. And again, I won't miss him. We we could spend episode 36.5, just two hours of me freestyling one insult to lob at him after another. Uh, look, at, yeah. look, at, look, look at all this hatred right after the high holidays for Randall. On his <laughs> well, Jewish yes, I've cleared, I've cleared the ledger, Jeremy. And what I'm saying now, I'm not going to have to atone for until next fall. So it seems to me this is the best possible time to do it. Oh and, God. you know, next fall. I'll wait until Yom Kippur again, and then I can say what I think of Molina, and that won't have to be accounted for until the following fall. See, you just got to time it properly. Yep. Yeah. Andre Dawson, Ian Happ coming out, handing over the number eight to Ryan Braun. Randall, what do you make of the 2011 National League Most Valuable Player Award winner? You know, I assume that's Braun. I don't know what year he won his MVP. (laughs) it, It wasn't his MVP. It should have been Kemp's. Kemp should have won it. We know that Ryan Braun was on PEDs at the time that he won it. It was proven he got off on a technicality. And again, it's just another another pin in the map that is the loathsome career of, of Ryan Braun. He was never repentant for it. Again, the only things he said publicly were that the, oh yeah, it's the FedEx worker. And he said some things about the FedEx worker that are unfortunate accusations to levy against somebody, especially when they aren't true. And especially when you're trying to cover your own ass. So again, I've, I've got nothing good to say about him. He shouldn't have been MVP. Yeah. Again, you could, you could keep me going for a fairly extended period. And I just keep harping on him. Brawn after brawn after brawn. And I won't miss him. I'm not going to miss him striding to the plate at Wrigley. Um, I'm not going to miss him striding to the plate at Wrigley, staring at the fans with those huge bug eyes of his, those beady eyes of his, looking around, finding me personally in the stands, flicking me the bird, and then depositing one into the shrubs in center field. I'm not going to miss anything about him. Well said, Randall. I Honestly, I, I, I hate Ryan Braun, too. Uh, there are plenty of players that have played on teams that I don't like that I can tip a cap for Albert Pujols, right? What he did the first portion of his career when he was a St. Louis Cardinal, as much as I hated it, as much as it tormented the Cubs, you just go, okay, that guy for a stretch of time was the best player in baseball. And he absolutely crushed it. And you only just hated the fact that he wasn't on the Cubs. Like, why does this guy have to be on St. Louis of all teams? I don't really like Yadier Molina, but I, again, I said this last time when we were talking about him, I respect the fact that he's had longevity at a position that's very, very difficult to be good at for really any period of time, let alone a couple of years. He's been doing it for damn near 20 years when he finally hangs things up. I don't really have anything nice to say about Ryan Braun. I didn't care for him. I didn't like him. Uh, the, you know, not that it matters what guys wear off the field, right? But he just dressed like a total douchebag all the time. <laughs> and he was one of those guys, even in the years that he was competing for an MVP, I never wanted him on the Chicago Cubs. You know, like you'd think, oh yeah, Albert Pujols on the Cubs, awesome. I never once thought, yeah, Ryan Braun, he'd look good on the north side. So I'm with you, Randall. Fuck Ryan Braun. We're not going to miss him. But he gets to hang it up here uh, in the season that he had nobody to play for. Yeah. I mean, you guys, you guys said it. You guys leveled out your hatred. 
Uh, Ryan Braun, I, I, I never honestly, I mean, I thought he kind of the, I agree with you, Randall, the whole, uh, accusations against the worker, uh, who, you know, yeah. the anti-Semitism accusations, I thought those were a little out of place and wrong and, and just ridiculous. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was none too happy. He said Ryan Braun lied to him because he told him he did not cheat when they were in business together. They had a restaurant in Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, they're in the business of being douchebags together. And business, <laughs> business is good. I, I got Randall on Aaron Rodgers now. Um, I, I like Aaron Rodgers a lot more than I, I like Ryan. I like. Braun. I don't mind that. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, totally. Um, I but Braun. I mean, Braun was a guy I remember playing at the University of Miami. So a long time. I remember going to a game in 07 when they called him up. And the Cubs were kind of playing the Brewers and Braun was playing third base at the time where he came up and he just dropped a pop-up. Like it was terrible on the infield. And they were like, this guy cannot play third base. We have to move him to the outfield. Um, so I don't know. He can always hit. And it was, he just always seemed to kill the Cubs somehow, some way it was always Ryan Braun killing the Cubs. And even at the end of his career. So I'll be happy to see him go. Unfortunately, the Brewers just find more cup killers. Yeah, and this is this is not closure, by the way. This is not okay. I've said goodbye to Ryan Braun, and I can move on in peace. I'll be happy to do this for anybody who asks. Like, if you want to pay like fifty dollars for a cameo, I'll be happy to record ten minutes of me hurling epithets at Ryan Braun. Talk to me. I can process the credit card for you. This is this is not goodbye. I'm more than happy to tell the world how much I hated that bug-eyed creep. Anytime anyone needs. Well, Randall, you got me thinking now. So Yadier next year. Uh, Braun has now retired. Who's the next, who's the next domino to fall? Like, I know there's a lot of players you don't like, but they're kind of in a league of their own there. Braun and Molina. Is there someone that I'm not thinking of that when that person retires, you've got the, the two birds salute ready for them and it's, it's all ready to go. You know, nobody is coming to mind, but I have zero doubt in my mind that if I went down the league, uh, I could pick out like one after another, like you pissed me off once you pissed me off once you once lost a game for the Cubs while I was in attendance. I can be petty enough to find a reason to dislike a lot of guys. I think you're correct in that there's nobody on the level of Braun and Molina who is quite out there at this point, but you know, you know what? Christian Yelich is probably say. Christian Yelich is probably next on that list just because, you know, he, he, really exploded when he got to the Brewers. I was hoping the Cubs would trade for him that offseason prior to the 2018 season. I was on record as thinking the Cubs might do that and have to take back Wei-Yin Chen from the Marlins to, to take on a bad contract from them. And then when they didn't do that and he ends up going off for the Brewers, uh, taking the MVP away from Javi that year, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this right now. If we weren't for Christian Yelich, we would have gotten to see one more full season division title from this core we would have gotten to see Javi Baez win an MVP. So Yelich is probably next on that list. He's got a lot to answer for and what he owes me can't be paid in treasure. Yeah. That's the guy I was going to say, I was going to say, Randall, what about Yelich? I felt like that was the guy. I was wondering if um, Rajay Davis had formally retired and he <laughs> did. He retired back in February. He now works in the baseball operations department of major league baseball. Ooh. So Rajay Davis up there scheming with Theo Lord knows what they're planning against our Cubs. But Randall, that was a name that I thought, one, had he actually officially retired it, we haven't seen him in the league in a couple of years. And two, uh, Rajay is a name that I know is going to haunt you the rest of your life. He is. But, you know, that's a singular point in time. Rajay Davis and I have never really associated, aside from that one point in time. 
And the fact that the Cubs uh, managed to pull that out, as yeah. some people may have heard, it, it dulls the pain a little bit. I'll always scowl at Rajay Davis if, if I ever see him on the street, but you know, I do, I'll do a lot more than scowl if I ever see Braun or Yadier or Molina walk by. Like just, just out there on the streets, and all of a sudden they flip the double bird at somebody. And you look over and it's one of them walking by. So Rajay Davis is a little different. It's focused into a single point in time. Braun, Molina, Yelich, it's spread out over a number of years. So it's a little different. Randall, um, six home games to go for the Cubs here the rest of the way. Two with Minnesota next week. Cardinals coming in for four after an off day. Do you have another Wrigley trip in you here the rest of the way? You know, I, I, I'd like to. Um, I'm looking at the viability of going to one of those night games, seeing if I can square it with my work schedule. Maybe a game against the Cardinals if I want to deal with Cardinals Ooh. fans, but that might be a deal breaker for me. So I, I'd like to. I really would like to get out to Wrigley, especially if the weather is going to take a turn for the more autumn-like. So, I, you know, I'd like to. I don't know that it's going to work. Uh, there's definitely a ceiling on how much money I would spend to go see this team right now. So I'd like to. I'm not sure it's going to work out that way. Randall, you want something to bleacher? I got one for Minnesota and one for St. Louis. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure the bleachers. I'm not really big on the bleachers, especially oh, no. because all the games against the Cardinals are uh, day games. And I'm really not big on the bleachers in the day. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll see how it shakes out. I would like to get out to Wrigley one more time before the season ends, just because I know if I don't, the season's going to end. And I'm going to say, you know, I really wish I'd gotten to one more game. I know what you're saying. Um, unfortunately, I can't get back to Chicago, and, and I lament that. It's like I had a couple of great games in May and June at Wrigley Field. The Cubs were a very different team in yeah. May and June at Wrigley Field. But I'm sad that I don't get out to the ballpark, and I'm looking here kind of the rest of the way for the Rockies. They've got one more homestand coming up, and it's like a couple of good opponents coming in. The Dodgers are going to be here. The Giants are going to be here. Um, you know, Nationals coming in for a couple of days. But I would like to get out at least one more time. I want to see Chris Bryant. They're also doing – uh, Larry Walker weekend is coming up here next weekend. They've got bobblehead nights. They got firework nights. They're going to have a retirement of his Jersey, the number 33 and lots of excitement around that. So I want to get out there. I think it'd be fun to be a part of that and to see Chris Bryant one more time. That's going to be worth it. So the question for me is, is it going to be one game or two games? Can I sneak the Dodgers in next week or is it just going to be the giants? But I'm sad because I love going to the ballpark. When I go more than two weeks, two and a half weeks without getting to a major league game, I start to get a little bit like, all right, who's in town? How can I get out there? This is sad. And it's very sad that this is ending so rapidly. Yeah. Very disappointing. As I said, I got, I got one against Minnesota, one against uh, St. Louis, but it's disappointing. I, honestly, I'm, I think I've only been to one game since two games since uh, the trade deadline. Uh, and, and it, it's just been, it's been kind of so different and I, I mean the last time i saw chris bryan a cubs uniform he hit a home run it was it was great i loved it and then i walked out and the team's been so different ever since and but i, I want to be out there i want to be at wrigley i always love being at wrigley it's my favorite place in the world and so it's going to be disappointing that i only have two home games left it's it just um i like fall favorite time of the year for me I can tolerate winter at least for a couple of months. It gets, it gets to be tough when you get into March and the snow keeps coming. Um, but it always is sad this time of the year. And one of the things that I look for on the final homestand is I just try and make sure I get as many televised games in because I like seeing Wrigley Field. I know this team isn't what we want. I know the ballpark isn't buzzing like it normally is buzzing or like Des Moines is buzzing most of the time. But I just like to see the brick wall behind home plate. I like to see the trees when the ball gets hit out towards the outfield, the people up on the rooftops, 
I just want to get that in as much as possible because I think that if we get through the winter, what I'm looking forward to so much is I just want to see that brick wall behind home plate again. That means the Cubs are home. That means there's games coming. So I just want to take it in and enjoy as much of it as possible here and uh, enjoy the seventh inning stretches and the crowd shots and the fun moments that you capture when you watch a team day in and day out for six months out of the year, just trying to embrace the most of that here because it's, it's getting away from us. Yeah. And Derek, Derek Lee's going to be out there throwing a first pitch. Uh, out I didn't of see stand. that. I awesome. saw. So that's going to be pretty cool. Hopefully one day uh, Chris Bryant is doing that. Well, let's look ahead a little bit here on the minor league side. Uh, normally you get to this time of the year, minor leagues are done, or at least they're getting deep into their playoffs. And the minor league season's just about done because of the late start for them. Remember they didn't want major league players and minor league players mingling in spring training. So the minor leaguers started their spring training late. The season started late. That means triple a ball is still going. And for the Cubs, Depending on the list you're looking at, either their number one or their number two prospect, Brendan Davis, is up in AAA. Randall, he's a skip away from the majors now. And how does he embark on AAA baseball, a two-home run game? This is awesome. What a memorable year for Brendan Davis, and he's really cementing it here with a hot finish in Iowa. Absolutely. A three-level season for a minor leaguer is nothing to sneeze at. This is a guy who started... The season was South Bend. He made it up to double A Tennessee, and now he's going to finish the season out with the last couple of weeks at Iowa. That's big. That means the Cubs believe in his talent because, you know, the Cubs are not a, the Cubs are not an organization that like to give a guy three, three different stops in a season, or at least when Theo was here, he was adamant. You need X number of at bats at each level. So it was atypical to see a guy promoted twice in a season. And here's Brennan Davis. Obviously Theo's not running the show anymore, but here's Brennan Davis advancing three levels in one season. So that means the Cubs believe in him. They believe that there was nothing left for him to really prove at double a, he had been scuffling a little bit before the promotion, but that they believe he was ready to be challenged by triple a. And he arrives there hitting three home runs in two games. It's, it's, fantastic you know we're not getting much out of the major leagues this season it's good to see that there is impact help on the way from the minor leagues so you have to believe next season he probably comes to camp as a non-roster invitee and they're probably going to get plenty of looks at him give him plenty of opportunity to work with the major league coaches and be around the major league veterans you probably figure he's ticketed to start the season at triple a and if he performs at triple a you could easily see him up in may or june uh, hopefully to bolster a competing team, and if not, at least to give a, uh, a faltering team uh, and fans of that faltering team something to be excited about. So it, it's really exciting. It's unfortunate maybe that this is the most exciting moment of a season, but it, it is exciting to see, especially for a player of this caliber. Yeah, I was a little surprised that they started him um, at, at, in South Bend this year. I, I, th I thought he would be more on track to start in double-A. Uh, at the start of the year and then moving up, I was, I was actually kind of a little surprised that they moved him up to Iowa already. Um, I thought that he would just finish the year in Tennessee. He would probably start the next year in Iowa. And then, you know, then we'd see towards the end of the year, whether or not he'd be on track to get a call up next year, if they wanted to move him in 2023, um, call him up. Of course, we won't know what service time is like because uh, the CBA will have to be hammered out. Who knows how that's all going to be. But, you know, putting him in Iowa now, that, that it kind of puts him on track at the start of next year being like, I mean, he's obviously probably going to start unless he just kills it in spring training. But even then, I mean, Chris Bryant killed in spring training. He was on the team they thought was going to be competitive. They kept him needed back. to work on his defense. Yeah. Everyone knew it. So I even then they probably will start in Iowa. But it could be if he's starting in Iowa, you could see in a month and 
two months, he could be up there sooner rather than later, or as opposed to the, if you'd start, you know, thinking he'd probably, if he was finishing up in Tennessee this year, and then it would probably be towards the end of the year, next year. So uh, it's interesting. It's interesting to see him, them push him a little bit. Uh, he, as Randall did mention, he had been scuffling a little bit the last few weeks, but I, I think he's, I mean, obviously with uh, um, Braylon uh, Marquez out for, who hasn't been, pitched at all this year i think he's clearly got to be the number one prospect yep. in in the system right now and it's nice to see somebody on the cusp i mean he's a top 20 prospect in baseball on most sites uh as of now so it's nice to see the cubs having some sort of talent that is push really pushing and really somebody to get excited about as randall mentioned and another top prospect who hasn't played at all the season is miguel amaya young catcher he's missed the entire season unfortunately with a forearm injury that required season-ending surgery some months ago so of your consensus top three prospects in the organization in one order or another two of them haven't played at all this season um so Brennan Davis kind of carrying the, the the weight of that top three and as as we've said you know a hot a hot start in Iowa and he's going to be knocking on the door next year so it's it's really encouraging to see and you hope Amaya can bounce back because he's going the wrong way on all the prospects list, just because we haven't been able to see him and you couple in the dysfunction of last year and then injuries this year, he's trending the wrong direction. The good news for the Cubs, a lot of names that we weren't thinking about a couple of months ago, Pete Crow Armstrong, Preciado, Alcantara, these guys are trending the opposite direction. They're trending up in the Cubs system. And it's something we're going to talk about extensively, particularly in the off season. Once we get closure to this major league season, once we get a good idea of what happens in the Arizona fall league, We'll have a better idea of where a lot of these are going um, as we get towards next season here. But very good. Brendan Davis off to a great start. He stole the show here in Denver at the Futures game. The loudest I was at any baseball game, the, the loudest baseball moment I had this year was that second home run he hit, which cemented the MVP at the Futures game. I wish I had something better to say. I Ooh. saw some excitement at big league games, but I uh, was feeling what about, like was- what about Wilson against the Padres. That was pretty loud. That was a big one. You know what else uh, I was very loud for? Manny Rodriguez, first career oh, yeah. save. We got that mm-hmm. here in Denver. And a lot uh, of Cherry got Joe Farkas and Frank Schnodel. Very loud. Big Frank. <laughs> Frank, Frank, big Frank the Tank got some love too. But I do think that Davis home run, the second one in particular, uh, it was awesome. Very, very cool moment and fun. You know, how often am I ever going to get to an MLB Futures game to go to a Futures game and to see the Cubs guy there? take the MVP. That's very, very special. And I've got a lot of special Cubs memories at Coors Field, not just all the games I've seen since I've been out here, but the first career home run for Javier Baez. That's a game that I flew out to Denver for. There was a concert in Boulder I wanted to go to. The Cubs were in town. Javi was coming up. It was the perfect storm. I had to be here. I got here. He hits the game hitting home run and extra innings. So lots of good memories that I associate and hopefully the first of many for Brendan Davis and Manny Rodriguez for that matter. Um, all-star game. Yeah. Let's talk we just game. about the futures yeah, game. We were just talking about the futures I mean, I got game. to see David Kelton the only time I went to the futures game. That was a big <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, here's a city, Jeremy, you've got a fondness for. You haven't mentioned Eddie or Pearl Jam yet. So great moment and opportunity for you to do it. It's going to the Pacific Northwest, back to Seattle. They last had the all-star game in 2001. Their ballpark opened just prior to that, but they're getting again in 2023. This is a ballpark, Randall that of the three of us, I believe you're the only one who has been there. That's correct. That is, that is correct. Yeah. I have not been fortunate enough to see a game there. I have toured it as I do like to do when I'm in a city with a major league ballpark and the baseball is not in season. I do like to go to the ballpark and take the ballpark tour. Wonderful ballpark, wonderful city, yeah. 
fantastic, fantastic things to do in that city. Fantastic scenery. You know, we, we complain a lot about the broadcast, the broadcasts of some of these national events, but there's so much wonderful background scenery in a, a place like Seattle that the, the B-roll, the B-roll is going to be exquisite. You're going to see shots of uh, Puget Sound, shots of Mount Rainier as you come back to the home run derby and whoever's in it in 2023 launches one uh, into the restaurant in uh, above right field. So you know, good for them. The Mariners, you can always count on them to be uh, in competition for the second wild card, five games out ahead of like three or behind four other teams with a week to go. But uh, T-Mobile, the former Safeco, wonderful ballpark, Seattle, wonderful city. Um, good for them. A great choice. Uh, yeah, I, well, I hope for, for their sake, the Mariners are uh, right there in it. Uh, I think 2023, they, they probably can be a very competitive team. They got a lot of young talent. Uh, Jared Keltnick had a huge night tonight. He had two home runs. And then they got Julio Rodriguez, who might be the best prospect in baseball uh, right now in the minors. So, uh, hopefully they're competitive right now. And, and it's interesting. The last time they had it, 2001, last time they made the playoffs. So, uh, what I remember about that all-star game, I remember, uh, Chan Ho Park grooving a pitch basically yeah. to Cal Rifkin Jr. in his final all-star game and just him just hammering it into left field, uh, you know, doing damage to it. So that's what I remember about the O one. And so it's, it's a little interesting that they're already going back to Seattle, Usually they're they're going to newer ballparks, places that just built new ballparks. Obviously, Atlanta um, lost theirs this past year, so they had to go to Colorado. Uh, Los Angeles will be there. That's an older ballpark, obviously. Um, but, you know, hopefully someday soon Wrigley Field will be on that list. Yeah, it's got to be coming here. Maybe they want that sports book built and fully yeah. fleshed out before they get that all-star game in there. Um, think about Seattle. Beautiful ballpark, Randall. I think you're right. Scenic area. Um even though the Mariners have been the worst team in baseball over the last 20 years, they play in an attractive place. I think it is the best looking ballpark with a roof on it in major league baseball. And it's important to note there, you know, there are domed stadiums like Tampa St. Pete. You've got retractable roof stadiums like Milwaukee, but when it's closed, you're inside. Seattle's got a different type of a design to it. The roof just sort of glides over the park. You're still sitting outside. You're just covered. So I think that given the climate of there, like you couldn't do that in Phoenix where it's 150 degrees, you know, throughout most of the season, it's a nice looking ballpark. You can see the skyline out in left field. I was in Seattle about two years ago before the pandemic took a train right by the ballpark. Very, very neat to see it. And not unlike Denver, it was a part of the city that wasn't doing so well. A lot of um, old industrial buildings, you put a ballpark there and then suddenly there's a whole neighborhood that gets built up around it can see it firsthand right here in Denver and many other cities. So I think they did a lot of things right there. And I think Seattle will make great hosts for the major league baseball all-star game. Another thing that I'm excited about that is just some of the names that could potentially be coming back here. You think about the Mariners over the years, Griffey, probably front and center for you, but beyond that, Ichiro, of course, Randy Johnson, Edgar Martinez, Alex Rodriguez. Yeah, He will definitely be there. <laughs> Jay Buter. Whoever, right? Whoever comes to mind for you when you think about all those Mariners teams over the years, there's going to be some cool faces back. And uh, they've been bad, though. Last 20 years, Mariners have been very, very bad in a city that deserves some good baseball. At least they're going to throw a hell of a party next summer. They have the longest. Sorry, out. They have the longest playout drought uh, in MLB. And if uh, that may extend to some of the other pro sports as well, but definitely the longest playout playoff drought in MLB, they have not made the playoffs since that 2001 season. 
Right. And uh, they, I would argue that they're probably the most mediocre franchise in Major League Baseball because they really only have, what, 95, 97, 2000, 2001 as like playoff appearances. They've never made the World Series. They've never won a World Series. It's just a mediocre franchise. But, you know, the only time I've, I, I've been to Seattle and I've walked by the ballpark, it's, as you mentioned, it's a cool park. Never been inside the ballpark. But I also don't believe, as you mentioned, um, with the roof i don't believe it even covers the entire ballpark i feel like there's a parts of the ballpark that are exposed even when the roof is is over the ball is is open uh is closed excuse me um so it's kind of interesting because i I do remember like when they first built the weird thing about it is it opened mid-season in 97 it opened like after the all-star break in july uh was the first game ever played there by the mariners they just went from the kingdom in the middle of the year to safeco uh, or or currently t-mobile ballpark and uh, but I remember them like a game where it was raining. They closed it. And they're like, the fans are still getting wet because this part is not covered by anything. So that was kind of interesting. Something else that I've been thinking about with regards to the all-star games, maybe the year for the Cubs is going to be 2024. And the reason for that, I, I was thinking, so Randall, to your point, the Dodgers get it next year. They were supposed to have it last year. That got messed up because of the virus. 2019 was in Cleveland. So 2022 is at Dodger Stadium. I don't know that they wanted all the National League parks there in a row. Denver here in 2021, 2022 at Dodger Stadium, then 2023 at Wrigley. They go back to the American League for 2023. The Cubs get another year to finish the remaining renovations and things that are happening there at the ballpark. Maybe 2024 is the year that the Cubs get it for the first time since 1990. I think it has to happen sooner versus later. I think the... Ownership has poured all this money into Wrigley Field, kind of with the unspoken understanding that it was would, would result in an all-star game sooner versus later. I have to think 2024 is the year only because I thought 2023 might have been the year. Obviously, yeah. it's not. So honestly, every year that goes by without them getting it will continue to be more and more of a surprise. And you mentioned earlier that they have more more upgrades coming to the ballpark. Those will probably be done by 2024. And I would hope they get it sooner versus later because they, they need it. They're not, I'm sorry. They don't need it, but they deserve it. Wrigley field is a beautiful ballpark. We can talk till we're blue in the face, cubby blue in the face uh, about what the Ricketts have done to it and the neighborhood. But the, the fact of the matter remains Wrigley is a beautiful ballpark. It's a historic ballpark. It's one of the great ballparks. It's one of the great sports venues not just in American sports, but worldwide, Wrigley deserves an all-star game. And their last one having been in 1990 and with the ballpark having been improved at a baseline to, for the better in recent years, it deserves an all-star game. And there, I know there was some talk that it might've gotten the impromptu uh, replacement bid uh, instead of Atlanta this year. And I didn't want that because no. I want a Wrigley all-star game to have the proper hype, the proper buildup. And I want Wrigley to be properly celebrated. And I hope that is now at the next earliest opportunity in 2024. I put it all in all the cards in, put it all, all the chips rather is a better way of putting that. Say, put Arenado, Goldschmidt, Molina, he's putting them in 2024 at Wrigley field, 2025 back in an American league park. And then, 2026 is already decided it's going to be in Philadelphia. So back to the national league there. I bet it's going to be the Cubs in 2024. It coincides with the next great Cubs window to 2024 Cubs. It's also the hundredth year anniversary. 
if this rebuild, no, it's not. I'm, no, no, what are you I'm doing here? Years, you're, it's you're 110th breaking year anniversary. 110th rhythm here year anniversary. with bad math. You're breaking <laughs> my rhythm here with bad math. Um, I bet it's 2024. Cubs get the all-star game. It's back at Wrigley. They go AL and then National League again in 2026. Renovations will be done. The Cubs are going to be good again. Whole lot going on there. Uh, put it in writing, Randall. Cubs are getting the all-star game in 24. 110-year anniversary. Excuse me. Yeah. I made a mistake. Maybe uh, 2025 will be at a guaranteed rate park. Well, there. I would we'll assume it's 2033, 2033, because that is the 100-year anniversary of the but, uh, first but one. You're wrong. But once again, you're wrong, because the one, wrong. 20, the one in 2033, 2033, is going to be at the new White Sox ball. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not the guaranteed rate. All right. Rate Arch park. Ward. Yes. Um, It'll be new ballpark. I do believe they'll be uh, out of that place by then, and that would make perfect sense. When they celebrate the hundred year well, anniversary of the All Star Game, White Sox are going to have a new ballpark, though. Maybe, I, I maybe they'll be on Soldier Field. You know, when the Bears are in Arlington Heights. Uh, uh, I was going to say, uh, I, I just want them to build that DraftKings in uh, at Wrigley, so that Randall doesn't have to drive to Casino Queen to open up his account in East in St. Louis. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to them doing that because Lord knows I, I hate to drive all the way down to East St. Louis to open up my, my gambling account. Maybe I can, I can double my, my points and um, put more skin in the game. Like the commercials tell me every commercial break and then some. Well, it'll be fun to see the all-star game uh, again, Dodger stadium next year after that back to Seattle. And then maybe Wrigley gets the shot in 2024. Um, Want to go back 20 years here. We've been celebrating the 2001 Chicago Cubs Last week, we were talking about the amazing, amazing season that Sammy Sosa had. I was debating where to go with this one, but I wanted to celebrate something. I know we talked about this way back at the beginning of this podcast, but I thought the timing, it made good sense to bring it up again, uh, especially given that we just passed the 20-year anniversary of September 11, 2001. Uh, Crazy to think it's been 20 years since that iconic day. We were all freshmen in high school. Uh, Jeremy and I had known each other for a couple of years at that point. This was the year that the three of us though would meet and Randall would kind of get brought into the picture a little bit here, but there it is 2001. Um, when the terrorist attack occurred, the Cubs were in the middle of a homestand at Wrigley field. They had just been swept at home by the Atlanta Braves Friday, September 7th, 8th and 9th. They played the Reds on Monday, September 10th. That was a game the Cubs won 8-2. to two. John Lieber got the win in that ball game. And then we all know what happened on Tuesday, September 11th. Major League Baseball put things on hold. There would be no Major League Baseball game for the Cubs again until Tuesday, September 18th. So they went from Monday, September 10th to Tuesday, September 18th. And the Cubs were on the road. So they had a road trip. It went through Cincinnati, through Houston, three games in Pittsburgh. That meant there was a gap in baseball at Wrigley Field from Monday, September 10 until a Thursday night game against the Astros Thursday, September 27. So a long gap there between games. Cubs come home. They take on the Houston Astros. That was a team the Cubs were battling for uh, in the division. And it ends up being a Cubs loss. Final score in that game, six to five. But we all remember from that game, the iconic imagery. I think three things stand out. Before the ball game starts, Joe Girardi, the Cubs captain at that point in time, addresses all of the fans in the ballpark. There's only a couple of times in history, and unfortunately, Joe Girardi was a part of two of them, where a Cubs player took the mic before the ball game and addressed the fans at the ballpark. Um, the other one that I can think of was when Daryl Kyle passed. Joe Girardi also spoke to the fans at Wrigley Field. He addressed the fans before the game, and then Sammy Sosa did two things, which 
man, stole my heart as a 14-year-old. First of all, charges out of that third base dugout, out towards right field with an American flag. Just amazing moment. The imagery, an incredibly emotional moment at Wrigley Field. Then in the bottom of the first inning, Shane Reynolds on the mound, Sammy Sosa up. He hits a home run. We've seen towering blasts from Sammy Sosa over the years. This one just gets out of the park and right, right center. Sammy gets to first base, the Cubs first base coach, if you recall then, Billy Williams. Billy Williams pulls out a small American flag, hands it to Sammy. Sammy carries it around the bases and not quite a full house, but 38,154 at Wrigley, just about a full house there standing for this incredible moment. Um, the Cubs would go on to lose the game. It got away from them in the sixth inning. They lost that game six to five, but it's one of those moments when you look back on 2001, an emotional, crazy, crazy year, seeing Sammy take the field at night, a near full house at Wrigley, him carrying that American flag. It was an incredibly emotional time. And um, once more, Sammy right in the middle of an iconic Cubs moment. Yeah, it was crazy. I, I personally, I always kind of blame that break for the Cubs kind of blowing it. Uh, at the end of the year there, you know, they kind of really faltered after that. But, uh, you, you know, I, that was just incredible when Sammy ran out there on uh, with the little uh, with the big fl- or bigger flag out there at first to right field and then uh, hitting the home run and having the smaller flag. And then you got you got to experience that. So that's pretty cool uh, yeah. being out there. And it was just it was just, a you know, just a completely weird time, obviously. You know, I still have the hat that they were giving out at the ballpark that night, and I got it from a Cubs executive named Mark McGuire, of all names, Randall. He was the guy who was handing it out at the uh, window that I was at. I heard a rumor, um, and I, I got to double check it because the math doesn't seem right on this, but I heard that Mickey Morandini was handing out hats that night, and I was pissed off that I didn't get one from Mickey. But I got one from this guy, Mark McGuire, Cubs executive, and it had the American flag stitched on the side. It was a Cubs home cap, the blue cap with the red sea and the American flag on the side. And we still got a couple of those back of the house. I'm going to keep those forever. I still have the American flag, the small miniature American flag that they handed out to fans when they came into the ballpark that day. And it didn't matter that the Cubs lost that ball game. Now, certainly it did towards their playoff chances. And it was sort of deflating to see them lose a game when you really wanted them to make the playoffs. But what was so important about that night and the reason that I was there and my dad thought it was important to bring me and my brother was you got to get back out to the park. You got to remember people were terrified. People were terrified of even looking at the skyline. You, you couldn't look at the Sears Tower and not think, man, is, is it safe? Will I ever be able to go in there again? Um, I love going to the top of it and looking out at Illinois and Indiana and, and Michigan and all the cool things you can see. To be back in the ballpark felt like we were making a statement. Like, you know what? You're not going to prevent us from doing this, going to Wrigley Field, enjoying baseball. And crazy to think that within 20 years, we'd have another major break of, of the team not being able to play and fans not being able to get into the ballpark. Pretty wild yeah. stuff, Randall. You know, Ronan, you make the connection 20 years later uh, when the Cubs took the field for the first time in the first game of that shortened 2020 season, Jason Hayward ran out to right field at Wrigley carrying a Chicago flag with him. That's and right. I couldn't, I couldn't see that at the time and not think back to Sammy doing something very similar almost 20 years prior. So, you know, I, I like to say history doesn't repeat itself, but sometimes it does rhyme. Um, but so, yeah, when you, when you brought up you know, 20 years later, we're dealing with a lot of the same things, uh, getting back out to the ballpark. And obviously it's not the same scenario 
at all as for what's kept people away from the ballpark other than that people have been kept away from the ballpark but as soon as you mentioned that connection I thought right back to Jason Hayward running out there with that Chicago flag to start last season that's great Randall uh, wonderful imagery there and you know the American flag awesome to see it Wrigley Chicago flag very very cool flag nice to see Jason Hayward embracing that and and it seemed tactful right it was about the city getting back out to the ballpark here following this pandemic. Really nice move there. And one thing that we've always associated with Jason Hayward is class. And he pulled it off again there, just, it, just as Sammy did 20 years before. Jason Hayward, a guy who knows how to kind of represent the moment. No moment too big for him. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's the first thing that came to mind when I saw him with that flag last season. Yeah. But I like that Billy Williams is part of the story, too. A Cubs Hall of Famer, one of the great outfielders in Cubs history. Him having that moment with Sammy, I think, adds to the lore a little bit, too. And we'll use another episode here behind the yellow line to say, hey, Tom Ricketts, get Sammy Sosa into that team Hall of Fame. I want him in there with an American flag at Wrigley Field again because we miss him and we'd love to see him back out at the ballpark. All right, I got a couple other things I want to talk about. They're not Cubs related, though. So anything else that we got to run by before we bring all this home. Um, but I got two other sort of things I want to throw your way here. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put a, a missive out there to our fellow fans. We, we mentioned the Cubs are on their final homestand. You got two against the twins. You got four against the Cardinals with a Friday doubleheader. And then of course, Saturday, Sunday, I completely understand anybody who doesn't want to spend money on this team. I understand that completely. I don't even strictly disagree with it, but I'm going to say this. The weather is supposed to be favorable this week for the two-gamer against the Twins, and I believe it's at this early date favorable for next weekend. If you have the means to get out to the ballpark, if you feel comfortable doing it in the current health climate, and you can do it without kind of violating your, your financial standards regarding this team, take that opportunity and do it. Just because you're going to get to the offseason and you're going to miss this sport, you're going to miss even this team, you're going to miss the ballpark. You're, you don't want to spend the offseason going, you know, I would wish I'd gone back to Wrigley one more time, especially since between the labor climate and the public health climate, it's not out of the realm of possibility that you might not be have an opportunity to go back to Wrigley. Uh, to, to a certain degree next season or even the entirety of next season. If you have the opportunity to get out to Wrigley this week uh, within your means and within your, your standards, go ahead and take it. I don't think you'll regret it beyond what you might see on the field. And while you're there, go out to the right field bleachers, get some encased meat, sit down next to Jeremy and yep. talk some baseball. He'll be out in the right field. Bleachers. Randall won't do it, but you can. <laughs> Uh, any other thoughts Cubs related, Jeremy, before I bring two things here home? No, I've just, as Randall said, you know, season's ending. So I'm just, I'm just, you know, kind of just focusing on that, trying to get to those last games in that homestand. Uh, and, you know, seeing the twins, another team that's been mediocre this year, had high expectations and then seeing the Cardinals and hopefully the Cubs can play spoiler against the Cardinals. So that's just really where I'm focused on. Well, we will celebrate the end of this season, even though it's not going to be a playoff bound Cubs team. Uh, Jeremy Randall, consider this your warning. Now we got a show coming up here where I want us to kind of reflect back on our favorite moments. It could be the Baez play. It could be the Rizzo home run against the Cardinals. It could be Frank, the tank going off here. We're going to go through that. You know, your favorite individual performances, most memorable games, most dominant pitching performance. We're going to have a whole bunch of categories ready to go, but you out there, if you listen to this podcast, if you're somehow still with us listening to this show, send us a tweet at BTYL podcast. Tell us 
a topic that you'd like to hear, share your thoughts with us as well. If there was a, a memorable ejection, Andy Green comes to mind for me. Maybe that will be a moment that we're going to reflect on here at the end of the year, but that's all top of mind for us. Uh, but enough Cubs here. We got just a couple minutes to go. I got a fun story I want to share, but let's start with the Bears here. 0-1, tough weekend here. You both predicted a loss against Los Angeles. I was optimistic that the Bears were going to do it. It didn't really work out. Uh, really quick thoughts here, Jeremy. We saw Justin Fields, sort of. He got his first score, but what did you make of the week one game? Uh, it was seeing the defense was kind of disappointing, uh, especially seeing the secondary. I mean, we all knew that the corners weren't going to be so great, but the safeties, particularly Eddie Jackson, uh, very disappointing uh, out there. The offense, you know, they were, they were kind of decent between, you know, the 20s. Uh, Andy Dalton's a fine, okay quarterback. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what they were trying to do with Justin Fields. It seemed like they just kind of put him in at random times. It really kind of frustrates me a little bit, like when your quarterback has a rhythm and then just because you have a scripted play with Justin Fields, you just kind of throw him in there. That's kind of weird to me. Like, let Andy, if he's going to be your quarterback, let him kind of, you know, try to get in a rhythm and, and move the offense. Um, but the Rams are pretty good. I actually think Matt Stafford is a really good quarterback, and I think he's going to have a monster year uh, this year out from under Detroit. And I think, you know, he's my dark horse MVP candidate. I think Matt Stafford's going to have a monster year. So we'll see. We'll see against the the Bengals, you know, Joe Burrow coming into town. And hopefully the Cubs can't – or Cubs, the Bears Cubs. can – Bears can put up a big uh, – well, the Bears were named after the Cubs. So uh, the Bears can put up uh, some big points this weekend, uh, this weekend on Sunday at the first home game. Yeah, I have to say that game drove me out of my mind in more than a few places. First of all, bringing Fields in for one play at a time and not even using him to his strengths for those plays, having Fields come in to do an end-around handoff or a shovel pass. Come on, if you're going to put him in there, let him air it out. Try and get something exciting out of him, not these, these scripted nothing plays. The secondary was disappointing. Two huge blown blown plays that led to scores. Stafford throwing that pick as the bears were in the red zone to start the game there. You, you can point to three, four, five huge moments that returned the tide of that game. And the game might've gone differently if even one or two of those moments had gone differently. So it was a frustrating game. I don't know that it was a surprising game, but it was definitely a frustrating game. Hopefully they can come home and do better against the Bengals, the Bengals. And for pity's sake, start fields already. Come on. What are, we, what are we doing here with Dalton? What are we really doing? It's a nooner Sunday. Bengals at Bears, the home opener for the Bears, something that we mentioned with the Bears schedule this year. They alternate every week, road game, home game, road game, home game. They never are in the same place in consecutive weeks. Is it a victory this weekend, Jeremy? You're the season ticket holder. Are the Bears winning against the Bengals on Sunday? I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say Andy Dalton plays well against his former team. I'm going to say the Bears go out there. I'm going to say they, they put up some points and that the Bears will win this game. Randall, win or loss? I will also post some potentially ill-advised optimism on my part. I'm going to say win. I'm with you. Bears are winning. We're going to see a lot of Andy Dalton, but we're going to see a little bit more of Justin Fields. Uh, last question pertaining to the Bears here. Who will be booed? I'm talking Bears related. Who, if anybody, Jeremy, will be booed on Sunday at Soldier Field? Uh, Matt Nagy will be booed. Uh <laughs> Uh, the Bears probably as a team will be booed. Uh, and then uh, I don't know. I mean, if they bring out, we'll see who they bring out to get booed. Will you be booing? Will you be booing Matt Nagy? I will not be booing anybody. Okay. So will, will you be clapping? Or are you going to give him the silent or the single clap? 
the one clap. I and will give some cheers. You know, they'll come out. They're okay. going to be the home teams of the first game of the season. I'm going to give some cheers. We'll see how they play. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, you know, Andy Dalton throws four or five touchdown passes and it's all moot. Right. I think Dalton, I think Dalton might get booed. Well, anybody booing Andy Dalton's an asshole, in my opinion. Yeah. And Justin Fields would say the same thing. He did say the same thing, basically. (laughs) Cut it out. Like, we got to pull for this guy. I would not want to see that. Um, I've got frustrations with Matt Nagy. I'm very, very concerned about the play calling. But I think this Bears team is going to be all right. Like, I'm very optimistic with the running game. They actually have a kicker, so that's good news. Like, I don't have to worry all the time when they're trying to put up a field goal or something like that. Um, but I think this Bears team is, is going to be competitive. I think they're going to get better as the year goes on, and I think it's going to start with a victory at home this weekend. And, Jeremy, we hope you have a good time out there. should be nice. It'll be fun, I'm sure, for you, though, just to be back at the stadium as a season ticket holder. It sucks to not get the year that you got last year, and, and now, you know, you can't take for granted any opportunity you get to go – to a stadium like that on the lakefront and watch the bears. Yeah. Can't wait. I'm excited. Got to go to one preseason game already. Uh, saw the bears win that one. Um, so hopefully it'll be good. And hopefully all my, my spots will be there because at the preseason game, I could not get my sandwich that I really enjoy. So spot wasn't open. Are, do they still sell RC at Soldier Field? Or I believe it still pass? is RC. Oh, my God. You, If you need to make a statement about the state of the Bears organization, it's that and that alone, that RC is the uh, soda sponsor at the ballpark. All right, I got a, a question for both of you. I found myself in a predicament last night, and I needed to know how either of you would have handled this. I've had a really fun week here. Um, Wednesday, I went to my first indoor concert since the pandemic. I've seen a lot of live music since the pandemic. My first indoor show was up in Fort Collins. Only about 100 people were there. So plenty of room, people respecting each other. You did have to require uh, proof of vaccination or a negative test in order to get in. And they were very strictly enforcing it. So even though I was inside at a show for the first time in a while, I felt pretty good. I felt like people did their due diligence and it felt safe. Last night, I am at Red Rocks. It was the first time I ever saw a stand-up show at Red Rocks. So it was cool. Sold out. 10,000 people there, uh, jam-packed, but it's outdoors. It was windy. I I wasn't very concerned about COVID with regards to that. But I found myself in a predicament, Randall, at the end of the show, and I needed to know how you would have handled this. Um, As you know, Jeremy, uh, you and Randall and I, we actually harbor the same sort of philosophy when events, particularly sold-out events, end. We like to wait and let the place clear out. The the thing that I don't want to do at a baseball game, a football game, a concert, is the concert ends and then you hurry up to get out of your seat so you can wait and stand in line and be crowded around people getting out of the stadium. I'm normally there waiting for an usher to kind of be like, hey, dude, it's time to go. Get out of here. Go have a good night. So I wait for the the venue to clear out, walk back to the car, and then, you know, it takes a long time to get all the cars out of the parking lot. So that's where tailgate 2.0 starts. You get the cooler back out. You start to hydrate a little bit. You do what you need to do so you can drive back home and get home for the night. So it's getting late. It's reaching that point of the night where traffic is clearing out. I can make the decision that I can go now. I went to the show last night with a group of people, but we drove separately. So I was alone at my vehicle and I saw a group of four gentlemen sort of stumbling in my direction. They weren't necessarily coming at me. I was in their orbit and they were just sort of being pulled towards my vehicle. And I hear the conversation that they're having with each other. One guy says to the other guy, I can't believe Sandra didn't give us a ride. And then the second guy says, well, it probably would have helped if you had actually asked. 
So I'm thinking, okay, we got drama here, man on man drama. Sandra's involved with some other drama. They're coming straight to my vehicle. They walk past me. One of the guys makes eye contact with me and he goes, Hey man, you want to make a hundred dollars tonight? And his buddy goes, we're just trying to get back to Denver. So here I am. I'm in a Nissan Rogue. There's plenty of seats. I'm the only person in the vehicle. I'm clearly leaving. They don't know this, but I'm going back to Denver. They're, they're going in the direction that I'm going. In that moment, Randall, I have to make a decision on whether or not I'm giving these four guys a ride or how do I get out of it? So the question is, when the guy turns to you and says, hey, man, do you want to make $100 tonight? And his buddy says, we're just trying to get back to Denver. In that moment, what do you say to those four guys? Are they getting in your car? And if not, how are they not? You know, I, I completely understand the dilemma. $100, a lot of money, get a, a nice hundo you're not expecting. I wouldn't do it. I'd be real weary in normal times of putting strangers in the car and giving them a ride back. Right now, I just don't think I could do it and feel good or safe about it. You know, if I have to say something, I say, no, sorry, sorry. Uh, you know, if they have a why not? Well, I'm not going, not, you know, not going to Denver. I couldn't do it. I completely understand the debate internally. You're, you're thinking about that, that nice hundred dollar bill or the Venmo they're going to send you. I don't think I could do it and feel safe about it. Generally, especially right now, you just don't know who is what or who has what. I don't think I could do it. So, but what do you say? Because in that moment, you got to respond to the guy. You say, I, you know, I just say, no, I'm good. Thanks. And I hope that's okay. the end of it. Jeremy, you're putting this predicament. What do you say to the guy? or a group of guys or four of them? Uh, I don't know. Um, well, I probably wouldn't be uh, making eye contact with them to begin with. That's a fair but, point. <laughs> but um, uh, I don't know. I, maybe I'd ask where they were going to see if it was truly on my way or not. Um, and then if not, I could always be like, you know, that's not really where I'm going. Uh, so I don't know what I would do. It, it'd be an interesting, it'd be an interesting, uh, what, what did you end up doing? So in that moment, I didn't even think to say, oh, I'm not going to Denver. And I, there's no reason to lie to the guy. What I actually said to him lying. was, that's not going to be the outcome of this situation. <laughs> you actually said that? Yeah, you put actually... on the spot. And I, but it's then at a moment, the very first thing I thought was, okay. And this all happens within five seconds because the guy says it to you. He's looking at you. You got to respond to it. I'm going like pros and cons in my head really quickly. The pro. I do a solid for a group of people that probably they clearly had been drinking too much. I could have helped them out. I could have gotten them in. Yeah. I get a hundred dollars out of it. Great. It covers the night and the gas and all that stuff. Fine. It's about a 20 minute drive from Red Rocks back to Denver. On the other side of it, I'm thinking, you know, what's the worst possible situation here? And what I honestly thought about is one of them getting sick in my car, like throwing up. They, they'd clearly been drinking all night. I'm like, what if I start driving and then, you know, Dale here in the back starts seeing his Coors lights. And then I got a mess in the back seat. Didn't want to be dealing with that. So, you know, what I said to him is that that's not going to be the outcome of this situation. <laughs> so he was like, ah, man, was well, there anything you can do for me? I opened up the cooler. I let them take one of whatever they wanted. So one guy got a beer, another guy got a beer, and then the other two guys got waters. So I figured, you know, at least I helped them get to wherever they were going to next but I couldn't bring them home. Yes. COVID was going through my head, Randall. Like, you know, I could have had the windows down. Uh, it probably would have been okay. You technically needed vaccination to get into that show, although it wasn't enforced. So who knows with these guys, but it wasn't what 
where that night was going to go. But I, got, I was just thinking, you get put on the spot, you got to answer the question in the moment. Do you want, I didn't want to lie to the guy. That was the thing that the adult decision that I made there is I don't want to lie to this person. So I'll be transparent and say, that's not going to happen here. I'm sorry. That's not going to happen though. And uh, good luck. Gave them a couple of beers, sent them on their way. And I do hope that they made it home safely, but it happens. You know, I was vulnerable. I was there. I was a target. They came to me and uh, that was it. So, you know, you got to be prepared for anything when you leave shows late. Expect nothing, anticipate everything. You know, I lied. There was one more thing I wanted to say here. Jeremy, I know you got a thought on it. Norm MacDonald, tough yeah. week here for tough the comedy week. world. I was thinking about him last night at a stand-up show. I know you admired Norm MacDonald. Uh, pretty sad to hear of his passing here a couple days ago. Extremely sad. I was, uh, as I mentioned previously, um, at least on previous podcasts, I was in Galena this past weekend on a golf trip with my friends and a lot of friends. One of our favorite movies ever that we always watch. We watched a hundred million times, watched throughout high school, throughout college is dirty work. Norm's uh, movie directed by Bob Saget, I believe. Uh, and it's phenomenal. And so this past week I, we were just quoting dirty work all, all the time. I was online just looking up Norm jokes and just quoting them the whole weekend. And then to find out on my, or on, you know, that he passed away the other day, like, days after that it was kind of eerie as we were just been quoting him all weekend and norm norm was a legend i he, he's one of the funniest men i've ever seen i loved him i loved everything he did his all of his podcasts he had a netflix show he had everything and he had some shows on comedy central uh he, i mean he, i i i haven't really I, I i even remember his uh uh sitcom that was on like nbc or whatever uh, obviously SNL and, and the joke, the Espy joke that it's like the greatest joke ever with Charles Woodson. Um, just absolutely phenomenal. The best joke. Um, and, but with Norm, it was like, it's not even really the joke. It's not even the punchline. It's like getting to the punchline. Cause he, he just made everything funny. Like he made the the setup as funny as the punchline was. And he, he, and he would just, he just seemed like a real person. So yeah, Norm was one of my favorites. I loved him. And if you want to see Norm in baseball, cause Norm was a huge fan, go, go see his Bob Ugert story. Uh, absolutely yes. phenomenal. Yes. And um, there's I, Cubs mentions in there. Sammy yep, Sosa. It, I, I just saw that the other day, uh, the, the Bob Euchre story. So head out on YouTube. You can see it. Um, but I've been thinking about Norm too. Amazing comedian, incredible delivery. And, and, you know, when I look back on SNL, certainly incredible performers over the years on it, but a whole lot of kind of cringe over the years too. A lot of the Norm Macdonald weekend update stuff, it's aged very well watching it and seeing clips of it over the last couple of weeks. It's hilarious. So been thinking about him, Randall, did you have something here before we break? Yeah. You know, I wasn't quite as invested in his career as, as you two were, but uh, as you said, a master of the delivery, just a world-class deadpan, the, the moth joke, the long form essay moth joke he told on late night TV, he, he a gentleman who enjoyed pushing the envelope, Jeremy, you mentioned the joke he told at the ESPYs about, uh, Woodson's Heisman Trophy, but just a master of the delivery and uh, a, a loss for uh, a loss for the medium that uh, somebody that talented is no longer with us. I, I love Norm. Norm was one of my. I I, I spent you know that like a year ago just in COVID. I I spent so much time just on YouTube, just watching all of Norm's videos, seeing everything. Just just he was. I loved everything about him. I, I thought he was hilarious. Well, I hope we've inspired Randall next week give us some stand-up here on the podcast yeah. fingers crossed we're Go ready watch for some norm 
some uh, delivery here. He'll watch some Norm. He'll be ready to go, and we'll get some some good stuff. Uh, next time here on the show, we will talk about this final couple of Cubs home games, the Cardinals coming into town. We are going to continue to revisit the ballot of the 2001 Chicago Cubs, and we'll track whatever else is going on with this team here. Hopefully some better things this weekend in Milwaukee, and then go Bears this weekend Sunday in the home opener. For Jeremy Spector and Randall J. Sanders, this is Ronan. We'll see you next time for episode 37 of Behind the Yellow Line. Hope you have a great week, and go Cubs.